Hi, I'm Haley. And I'm Sydney. And this week's episode on shark diving is to to dive for. Sydney. Well, good evening, Sydney. <laughs> I'm just gonna say good night, Haley. Yeah, it's morning here. <laughs> yep. A classic uh, switcheroo. <laughs> I know. Still not used to the time difference. <laughs> I think that's fair. I I do. Um, yeah, it's still. This is going to sound really stupid to say on air, but uh, it still kind of blows my mind that there are places in this world that it's like dark while it's light here. Like, I can't believe that it's actually nine o'clock at night where you are. That kind of blows my mind. I know that that was the dumbest thing I've ever admitted out loud. But (laughs) oh, goodness. Oh, man. (laughs) So everyone just has to accept how dumb I am. (laughs) No, no. There are no dumb no dumb questions, no dumb statements. <laughs> oh my goodness. How have you been? How's it how's it going? How's your day today? I am just writing 24/7 these days. So What are you writing? Uh getting ready to finish my lit review, put that all into my proposal and start working on my proposal seminar. Um nice. So I am reading, living, eating, breathing algal symbionts 24-7. Ooh, fun. Yeah, we're uh, we're going down the rabbit hole of um, how algal symbionts evolved right now. So that's where I'm at. That's actually really interesting. I need to pick your brain about this sometime when we don't have a whole bunch of people listening to us nerd out. It, yep. We will go down this rabbit hole so hard, it, nobody will follow. Yep. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Cool. I'm trying to think what else. Oh, I went free diving. Oh, I saw. And um, it was super cool. Had like super huge fish interacting with us, which I'll probably tell the story on a fish tales in the future, but just like really unique interactions that I've never had before. So it was like one of the coolest snorkels, free dives that I've ever done. That's so awesome. That was super exciting. Was it and just I saw you and my Alec? first koala. <gasps> no. We went with um all of the other PhD students um that work in my building. So it was super fun. That's super fun, but also you saw a koala in like in the wild? Yes. I went on a three mile hike and at the peak of this hike there was a koala in the top tree on the mountain and it was like amazing. This is my new life goal. He was so chonky. <laughs> so chonky. So um. chonky. <laughs> Well, my day has been really riveting so far. I woke up. Mm. I made coffee. I brought all my pillows downstairs to try and give my office a better audio environment, which I'm sure is oh. not working. So yeah, it's it's rather entertaining. It's a lot going on today nice. so far in the last 30 minutes. I'm coming to you from my new office, aka the third bedroom in our house that has been turned into a scuba room. 
That's really cool, though. Dang. What is it like to have a house with three bedrooms? It's crazy. But it's cheaper than the the one-bedroom places near the city center. So uh, we out here. Well, do you have news for us, Sydney? Oh, I have the best news because it's coming to you from Australia. (laughs) Anything from Australia is automatically the best. (laughs) (laughs) So the story today is about seahorses in Australia. So have you ever heard of seahorse hotels? I have not. (laughs) No. (laughs) So conservationists have developed these basically underwater hotels in hopes that this method will save the um, seahorses from extinction. So this is... The White Seahorse, or the Sydney Seahorse, because <laughs> um, it's in Sydney, Australia. So there are only 350 of these endangered seahorses left. They're the only endangered seahorse species in Australia, and they are the second endangered seahorse species in the whole world. So, hey, Sydney, um, what are you doing yes. letting your seahorses become endangered? Go get those babies. I need to go get them. I don't know. <laughs> go get them and put them in a hotel. What are you doing? This is my new mission. They will go live <laughs> in my apartment pool. Who I cares about them. algal symbionts? Go save your seahorses. They're named after exactly. you. <laughs> yeah. So what's really cool is these little hotels, they're basically made out of biodegradable um, metal. And so it kind of just looks like a, almost like a crab or a lobster trap, actually. This metal eventually breaks down and it'll leave behind the reef structure that all of these different sponges and algae, everything creates around the metal. Hmm. And yeah, so this was mostly done because the seahorse population decreased by about half, so 50% between 2008 and 2015. So they really needed to do something drastic to try and create new habitat for these seahorses, give them... Uh, somewhere they can be protected and hopefully reproduce. So, yeah, pretty exciting. exciting. It was also the biggest release of seahorses ever undertaken in the world. Oh, my God. How many was it? It was only like 300, right? 350, yeah. Dang, that's pretty cool. Well, there's your fun facts about seahorses. (laughs) Without further ado... Here is our special guest for the week, and would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself for everyone? Hello, hello. I am Cassandra Scott. Um, I am, oh boy, I don't even know where to start with <laughs> what I what I am. Um, she, her. Yeah. And um, I am from North Palm Beach, Florida, and I do a lot of different things from engineering to shark research here. Wow. And I also work with um, American Shark Conservancy, and that will, I guess we can kind of go into once we get to how I became part of that organization, but it's been quite the doozy of a ride to get to that place. Wow. All right. I am already intrigued. I don't think I, I realized you did so many things. <laughs> That's awesome. What would you say originally drew you to the water? I was born here in North Palm Beach, um, and my parents are Kiwis, and they're the type that are like, 
she'll be fine. Yeah. So we live on the water and I, I think they just threw me in the water when I was a baby and it just became part of me to a point I didn't really realize it was that big of so much importance to me until I moved away from it and it just felt like something was missing. Um, and yeah, it, I didn't realize how big it was until my parents were telling me stories of like, yep, she was diving down to the bottom of the pool at two and a half years. I don't know, something crazy like that. Where I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Maybe that makes a lot of sense of why I just need to be in the water. And I feel like that's a big common thing with a lot of water people. It's just, they were kind of they grew up next to the water. They were always in the water. Family whatevers were always in the water. Weekends, we would be in the water here on the boat with our dog. And so it just, it was a part of our life. So cool. Yeah. So you have been in pool water since you were super young. When did you start being in the ocean water? I mean, growing up in North Palm Beach, I guess you had access to it pretty young. Yeah. Yeah, so right behind my parents' house, we lived on the water. So mm. if I wasn't in the pool, I was in there just looking for creatures. And I had two older brothers, so of course they were getting into all sorts of ruckus. And I would follow them and be like, let me hold this dangerous thing. And <laughs> what is this? And so any spare time I really had, my parents were busy working. So that was almost kind of like my babysitter back yeah. there behind in that canal. Um, and... Back then, there used to be a lot more life in the water. Mm -hmm. um, I never saw trash, not until maybe 10, 15 years ago, started to actually see trash behind my parents. They still live in the same house, but it's incredible to see the type of change that it's been through since I've been a kid there. So, but yeah, growing up, it was incredible. I mean, speaking of seahorses, saw like little seahorses back there, all sorts of crabs, all sorts of fish. Wow. I mean, rays, sharks, all the oh. things. So it was kind of just, they were my babysitters, I guess. Yeah, that is so amazing. I have a, a good friend who lives on a like finger canal in Florida, and every time we go over to their house for a barbecue, my eyes are just like glued to the canal. And every once in a while, we'll see like you know a juvenile bull shark or like a you know an eagle ray fin pop out of the water. But every time I like lose my mind, I get so excited about it. Yeah, that's how you know you're a water person. Yeah, you're like I know there's something there. <laughs> Show your face. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so cute. So you mentioned that you are an engineer as well as you also work on a shark diving boat, right? Yeah. So by trait, um, my dad, also growing up around the family, my dad is a big engineer, physicist, chemist, etc. So we had um, part of the house was an office slash lab. And so he did a lot of his soldering or work over there. So if I wasn't in the water, I would be up watching what was going on. So by trait, I kind of just also became an engineer, electrical engineer, um, building, designing circuit boards. And we have a family business that creates ultrasound machines. So I kind of just, that was always there. And part of it is a nice... Um, way of keeping my mind moving and great puzzles and, and whatnot. But the other side of it is, is on the water. So yeah. So the engineering 
the job has always been like the fallback plan, but uh, the passion has always been with the wildlife. And so I keep going towards these jobs of, of wildlife. How long ago was it? 2015? I moved out to California. I started going back to school for wildlife and I wanted to do wildlife behavior. And so I moved out to California with a friend who was doing her externship there. And um, I started working at a wildlife hospital out there and I just, I fell in love with all of it. And that's kind of how I became, I fell in love with raptors. Anything that could try and rip my face off one way or another, I just became (laughs) obsessed with. I just wanted to learn everything about them. And I think that probably came back to growing up with a pit bull everyone's like oh pit bulls they're gonna rip your face off and i'm like well not really yeah there's there's more than just that little everyone's got that fear lingering and they don't take the time to really understand what the animal's about so maybe it started there but um i was never really into birds but that hospital got lots and lots of birds from little passerines so i mean the tiniest of baby hummingbirds oh. and all the way up to golden eagles. And so <clears throat> there was a lady there who was just, she's phenomenal. Day one, when I met her, I'm like, I want to be like her. She would be in the corner doing her own little whatever work up on a bird. And then you ask her a question way back there and she'd just be like, it's going to do this. The bird's then going to do this. So do this and this. And you're like, you weren't even looking. <laughs> She's just oh my that in tune with knowing the bird's personalities and, and behaviors. So it's like, that's what I want to do. So working there for a couple years, um, I think things kind of started slowing down. Um, it, was, it was a winter where they don't get lots of wildlife mm-hmm. during the winter. Um, I came back home and... Uh, I had a friend who was like, hey, do you, like, how comfortable are you in a snorkel and mask? I'm like, I'm from Florida. Kind of like, yeah. I was born with a snorkel and mask. Yeah. (laughs) We all know. Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, do you want to work on a shark diving boat? And I was like, they're one of those apex predators that are very misunderstood. And Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about them, but throw me in, coach. Let's go. And so... There I was. I didn't even move my stuff back from California. I was like, let's just see how it goes for a summer. And then we can decide if we want to go back to the wildlife hospital or if I want to kind of pursue this. It was like dive one or two. I'm like, I'm hooked. (laughs) I just want to spend as much time in the water as possible. So I was working engineering four days a week and then being on a boat three days a week doing two to three dives a day. And, um, it was the guys I was working with were incredible in understanding the sharks and respecting their behavior and not just them, but what surrounded them and the types of fish to, Oh, if you see moon jellies, you're not going to see sharks or just like little things like that of learning the ocean. Um, yeah, that was always a joke. If you see moon jellies and filefish, just get up and go somewhere else. I don't, huh. I don't know, understand what it is, but it's, it's, those guys who know the ocean so well, I was same thing with Marsha at the Raptor Center. I want to learn everything that they know. Yeah. So I spent the whole summer with them and it was amazing for everyone who got on that boat. 
especially if they're first timers, you saw that switch flip and they were just like, oh my gosh, I love them. I want to save the ocean. It was just like, if, if you like sharks, then you want to help save the ocean. So it's not just like shark conservation work, but it's really overall ocean conservation work. Um, so from there, I wanted to do more. Yes, you can take as many people in the water as possible, but from there, you're like, I, I really feel like I want to do more. Um, so from there, I was like, okay, I want to do this. So I, I went out to California with a friend and we moved all my stuff back here. <laughs> and she said, there's one condition that if I go with you, I want to stop by Los Angeles and talk to Steph Brendel, who is the founder of Shark Allies. She's like, I want to get more on the legislation side of the fin bill and, and what I just start a conversation with her. And I think she wasn't available. So I still got her to help me <laughs> go cross country anyways. I was like, okay, whatever you want to do with shark allies. Yeah, I'm in because it seems like they're doing great work. So that's when things started with Steph Brindle um, over in Los Angeles. She is an incredible human that just does not stop for anything. She's, she's doing things for the right reason and nothing's going to stop her. And that's one of the most inspiring things that I love to see from people. And so she kind of was really one of the first people to get in the water with tiger sharks without a cage over in Hawaii. Mm. And so she had an operation out there and she wanted to do more. So that's where she started the legislative work in Hawaii. And so she passed um, a Finban bill um, imports, export sales over there. And then she worked her way into the mainland and helped with other states. And then she she thought that if she would be able to get Florida to pass this fin bill, then it would be a lot easier since we're like fishing capital of yeah. U.S. Um, that the U.S. would be able to pass it much easier. Can I interrupt you and ask what the fin bill is specifically like can you give us a little a little synopsis of it yes and i will try not to butcher it because there were little things that were added here and there yeah um so i might have to also look it up myself but the fin ban bill was to ban the import and export and sales of fins okay so in the state it was legal to land a shark hole so fishermen, shark, commercial shark fishermen are allowed to go get sharks, bring them in. They have to bring them in whole, or I guess the proper word is dressed, meaning fins and all the meat have to be intact. And then once they get to land, they can then take the fins off and then put that into whatever sales that is going into. And the only problem with, only problem, the problem with that is it's kind of a gray area. So I think what the state of Florida was seeing was all of, as California passed this bill, as Texas passed this bill, the fins were now being were now being sent to Florida as the hub from South America and Central America. And so there's that gray area of being like, well, are these legal fins or are these fins that are coming in from whatever country and they're not legal? Like they weren't legally caught down in South or Central America and now they're coming through Florida as legal fins. So that was the big issue. And... One of the crazy events that happened while up at Tallahassee was, I think we had all of the House hearings passed, and then it was time for the Senate side. And the first meeting, Steph went around to all the Senate um, commissioners in the first meeting, and they're like, we don't really see, or 
I don't know what the story was exactly, but they um, they weren't in favor of passing it. And that same morning of that bill, the the commissioner hearing of those people, there was a thin seize. There's a seize down in Miami for it was something crazy like I think it was like one ton. I no, I could be making. Oh I don't remember how much it was. It was a lot. And so that morning, she's like, "This is it. We have to go print these. We have to go get these to the Senate." commissioners and um yeah and once they saw that they're like oh shoot this needs to probably stop so that was like a miracle of yeah. how that happens otherwise it probably would have just been dead in the water all of her hard work because if it doesn't pass one of those yeah um those hearings it's it's dead in the water so that was a miracle in that and from there sorry i just went <laughs> Went straight into it. So the bill is pretty much to stop import and export and sales of fins. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks for the synopsis. You went out to California, you met Steph, and then she came to Florida and started working on passing these bills. And is this how you got involved in the American Shark Conservancy? Yeah. So with that, Steph was with the whole bill and trying to get people to understand exactly what's going on. She was asking local researcher what some stats and and if we could use that to help our case and that's how i met hannah med she is the um, owner founder lead scientist of american shark conservancy and that was kind of how i met her and after that i was like just started up conversations being like hey um while we're out there we're seeing certain things on sharks and I don't know if anyone knows this, scientist-wise, but I think people, like, there shouldn't be a gap of scientists versus people who are out in the water all the time. So that's where we just yeah. kind of clicked and we had conversation after, like, our Friday nights would be on the computer, me asking her crazy questions. She's like, that is a great question. Let's dive deep. Like, that was our going out <laughs> Friday night. Um, so we just became good friends from there of just being like, you like sharks? I like sharks. Let's be best friends. So um, with American Shark Conservancy, it's kind of its own little niche. It's not affiliated with any university. It is a research, but it's also using that research to um, help conservation shark-wise with using that research to implement it into policy. Okay. Yeah, so working in the shark diving boat for I started in 2000 beginning of 2018 on that and then I just had I had so many questions <laughs> it's just like okay on these sharks I'm seeing this weird skin issue on these sharks I'm seeing these weird leeches this shark there's these weird copepods <laughs> it's, it's just it's like okay to yeah. be sure um yeah. and that's yeah. something that she always wanted to do and she even started back in 2016 so with American Shark Conservancy it's been an ongoing long research of just understanding the populations of what's going on here. So she tried or has been working with the shark diving boats of trying to collect uh, the data, which is a non-invasive way. And they're out there, some of them almost seven days a week and multiple times a day. So that is the best way to get that amount of data. And some boats kind of fell off, some kind of whatever with the data and so she's like i'm trying to get this data from these boats and yada 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 and from there um i joined american shark conservancy but also went a step further 
after working on the boat, I'm like, could this be done better? And not in like a way of, I know better by any means. It's just looking around the world and being like, what are other places doing that could be kind of more implemented here? Because a lot of people come in here, a lot of people... I mean, it's hard for me sometimes to, to walk around wearing a shark diving shirt because there's fishermen here that are like, oh, the guys are teaching the sharks to do this. And I'm like, oh, that's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like, yeah. uh, let me have a half hour conversation with you and let me try and change your mind. Yeah, it's so there was more I wanted to do with it of potentially doing this, but also in a better way. So two years ago, um, ganged up with. Hannah and Jordan Snyder, he has been in the shark diving world and more on the science side, but he's also a lawyer. And so we started this association with some of the boats. It's called Florida Sea. So it's Florida Shark, Florida Shark Ecotourism Association. And so it's pretty much to kind of have a buffer um, where if someone's trying to shut down the shark diving industry, um, like... FWC, we're not in state waters, so it's not really FWC. It's more like the NOAA side of things of mm-hmm. and the federal waters. So if they wanted to, um, they could potentially kind of somehow shut it down. They've done it before in different areas. So we just wanted to say, hey, we want to kind of clean up our act so that mm-hmm. if you were to come and be like, hey, we want to shut it down, be like, whoa, 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 we have an association. Here's our code of conduct. This is what we're doing. Let's have a conversation. If you think that we can be doing things better, um, let's let's try to meet in the middle. But also not just that, but have people. It's kind of a mandatory thing that if you're in this association, you are giving data to the shark, the local shark scientists of what you're seeing, and um, you're also having talks to convers- conservation work on your boat. You're there's there's a whole list of of things that if you're in this association you have to follow certain rules so we started that and trying to just get that up and going and a little bit more into it because i feel like i've seen one or two more dive operations kind of coming into the scene and don't want to keep it a wild west out there of just slinging fish at sharks (laughs) just that whole (laughs) that whole uh scene where a lot of people are like oh yeah you can hand feed sharks and it's like oof, it's not what we're trying to do yeah i was waiting for Haley. i don't know if we want to talk about things now or later but i i don't know we always have conversations about stuff like that with people taking pictures next to sharks and then yeah i don't know just portraying it in a certain light like i don't know if it's to get followers on social media or i don't know just yeah shark diving in a way like you said that's good for people and for the animals and promotes it in the right way i also yeah we i mean we struggle with this kind of concept in our minds i think where you know you can look at social media and see like a bunch of a bunch of pictures of people with a pretty shark and and say like oh look this is super cool and i love sharks so now everything is you know now that we all love sharks everything's great But, like, that's not necessarily true. Like, just because everybody, like, even if everyone in the world liked sharks, that doesn't mean that there aren't things that are threats to them. There aren't um, industries that are threats to them. There aren't industries that are, you know, handled incorrectly or mishandled in a way that doesn't have, um, like, population level conservation in mind. And so I think, yeah, if, could you speak a little bit maybe on, like, what some of the things are that you and your organization encourage 
uh, different mm-hmm. companies to do to create a more conservation-minded, uh, like, practice or, or, you know, business or whatever? Yeah. Um, this is one of those topics that we have a lot. And honestly, sometimes it's begin the beginning of having these talks is a little bit hard, but now getting into it, it's like everything's not black and white. Mm-hmm. There's a middle ground. We're here mm-hmm. in Florida. There's a lot of fishermen. They get upset over certain things. Then there's, then there's the conservation side, which get upset that like when a fish is being caught and it's like, where's the middle ground? Yeah. And so that's where we really like to come in and be like, Hey, hold on, let's look at both sides and how can we find the middle ground? So I'm not saying that having a picture next to a shark is bad by any means. I mean, there's certain people that have photos next to sharks and people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that you could be that close to a shark. That's really cool. Maybe I need to change my perspective around this animal. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you have the opposite side and it's like, there's that middle ground of more intention. So mm-hmm. it's it's really, why are they taking that photo? What's the purpose behind it? What is their message behind it? And that's also another one of the big things that we we like to ask um, the, the dive operators of, of like, hey, if you're going to do something, put some kind of caption behind it so there's education behind it. Because mm-hmm. lots yeah. of people will take the, the fact that sharks, oh, they're puppy dogs, etc. until something happens and you have to be like, they're still sharks. Like things will set them off that people don't fully understand where people will see these operations and be like, I could do that. That's no big deal. Meanwhile, they don't understand the shark behavior mm-hmm. and they aren't able to see that one shark is like a little, it's got, it's crazy in the eye. It's, it's got a little bit crazy in its eye and you're like, okay, watch out for that one or like what to do in those situations. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of just finding that gray area and doing things for the right reasons. And so I think that's also a big part of the association. Do you guys allow the boats in your organization to do hand feeding or is there like some rules around that? This is where I have my personal uh, opinions. Okay. But there's but going into looking at other parts of the world, they're able to do certain things um, and and things can be okay. But also the part of the organization is if we find things are doing things that aren't great, that's where we can come back and be like, let's reassess mm-hmm. this law and change it because okay. we see potentially yeah. whatever's happening and we don't think this is great. So yeah. that's why we have those those meetings. Okay. On the other side of things, we have people being like, you're feeding sharks. That's why so-and-so got bit on the beach. And you're like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> like, let's take a step back here. Looking at the bigger picture, everyone is at least, has to be at least three miles out. Federal waters here is three miles out. Mm -hmm. And then you go to your dirt, your certain areas. That's another thing why American Shark Conservancy is so important because we have the data of where everyone's diving. On their dive, they gave us GPS coordinates of, okay, we're going from here to here. We're drifting from here to here. And so we have such a small area. And also going out there on a beautiful summer day, we ask everyone to take boat counts around them to see how many boats are around. And you can have anywhere from like 50 to 150 all surrounding you. And all those boats, yeah, all those, this is what people don't see or understand. So all those boats that are fishing are not only putting chum in the water, but they're also grabbing fish and that fish is now a live struggling fish on the line. And what do sharks love more than 
anything <laughs> a fish in distress. So it's it's not just so much. A lot of the big turmoil here is saying that we're attracting the sharks. Meanwhile, in those 150 boats that are all drifting in one line, you can see all those in one mm-hmm. site just looking around your boat. They're all doing one thing, but the six boats that are out there that day between all of those... I don't think it's just that boat that's having sharks come in. Some yeah. days, those days, it's hard to get sharks because yeah. they're just all they're scattered. Over. Yeah. So you're saying there's like 150 fishing boats and like 50 or or like uh, like a few shark diving boats is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so gotcha. for someone, this is where I like to have a conversation with fishermen to be like, okay, let's break this down. Um, we're doing this. This is, it's just like a user conflict type area Mm -hmm. where people don't like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. But sometimes if we're next to a fishing boat, we can kind of take their sharks away and keep them busy. I was just going to say, give me all the sharks. And you can get what you want. So it's, some fishermen get that and others are just like, ah, you're bringing all these sharks here. And it's like, let's take another step back and see what the actual problem is here in Florida. And we don't know this for sure, but I mean, our oceans are changing. Mm -hmm. Everything that's going on with our coral reef, I'm sure you guys know all about X percentage, which is in the 90 percentile Mm -hmm. of how much our coral reefs have died off due to certain circumstances. And if there's no coral reefs, you don't have your fish. You don't have your fish around those areas. So if you go to a spot where there's 150 boats and there's a fish that's easy to catch when you can't find fish elsewhere, yeah, I'm going to go there. Sharks are smart. They're going to go there. They're opportunistic. And so... People are like, we're seeing an increase in sharks and this and that. It's like, well, is there really an increase or are they just more concentrated in this area because there's 150 boats with struggling fish? It's yeah. This is where we like to kind of ask the questions and start the, the data collecting yeah. of, yeah, and just having that conversation mm-hmm. of, is it really there's too many sharks or there's too many humans? Yeah. Or is there too few fish? Like when yeah. you have a whole bunch of animals competing mm-hmm. for the same resources, like I like to think about fishing I was just gonna bring this up too I know where you're going I like to think about fishing as as like we are also an apex predator right and so we're all competing for the same prey right like we're all I'm competing against the shark for the same fish that's on the end of my line as a fisherman right so like it's who am I to say that like that apex predator can't eat this fish because it's my fit like this kind of ownership thing is kind of a strange thing to me and like it, it is a competition. There's a friendly competition between you and the shark to see who's going to get this fish first. And, and the shark's yeah. just trying to eat. You know, the shark's just trying to do what sharks do. And and like you said, they're smart. They're going to go somewhere where there's a struggling fish. And if there's 150 struggling fish, or if every time they hear the certain sound of this boat propeller 150 times, they know that there's an easy meal waiting, then why wouldn't they concentrate in this area where there's 150 boat propellers running and they know there's going to be fish in the water? Like, I, I think Absolutely. that I think it's fair for the for the sharks. I don't think that it's I think, yeah, I agree with you. I wouldn't say it's because there's too many sharks. I would say it's because it's it's a behavior that we yeah. have have created by all by us having a behavior by us getting on our boats and going out in you know huge swarms of people and and heading out to certain areas and doing certain things over and over and over again it i mean it makes sense that they would take advantage of that they're they're predators they're looking for food too and having more sharks in an ecosystem is an indicator that you have a healthier ecosystem which means more fish for all of those fishermen so 
if anything, it's a good thing to have all of those sharks around. And I don't think people always get that. You mean that. try convincing someone who just got their, yeah. their four meals stolen know, off their line that it's a good <laughs> thing. It's, it is a hard conversation for sure. Yeah. We keep mentioning data. What kind of data are you having people collect on the shark diving boats? So there is a long form that is, we're trying to make it as easy as possible. So I know you're on the boat working, you're in and out of the water. Sometimes it's rough seas, you're dealing with customers, et cetera. We're trying to make this form as easy as possible, but it's still pretty lengthy. We just ask people to fill it out as much as possible. So we have, we ask everything from temperature cloud coverage, which which can sometimes affect sharks, to Mm -hmm. the amount of boats that you see around, to the amount of bait you have on the boat, the amount of bait you're using on your dive, to the species that you see, the sex. Um, We have a laser rig, which I know is not always easy for people to take in, but we know that there's certain people that will go out and dive boats and they, they go and take the laser rig out first, which gets us length which essentially is kind of an age Mm -hmm. of what types of sharks you're seeing um and also on that there's a gopro i mean you have your gopro and your lasers so that not only do we get the length of the shark but we can also 100 percent identify what type of shark it is if for whatever reason you didn't see but it's on the camera you can see sex um Mm -hmm. also on the those gopros we can kind of see interesting behavior and kind of document that for any reason the other thing we're seeing or looking for is how many human shark interactions are there with fishing gear. So how many of them have fishing hooks, lines on them, anything else that they see, scars, bullet holes, whatever kind of you can see. And it's not just with that, but if we see an individual popping up back and forth, like we can see if they have some kind of injury how well it's how well and how fast it's getting better um we can see what types of tags they are one of the big things that we are working on and um that's a whole nother story but one of the big things that we're seeing as an issue is the silky sharks here i think we're seeing a i don't think i don't know if i've seen that before but the past two years we've been seeing silky sharks with um tags on their dorsal fins and for some reason they have smaller dorsal fins and they're just not doing well with these types of tags mm-hmm. so we're getting photos of i mean we've seen the whole fin kind of ripped off before we don't know if that was potentially i mean the only thing i can think of is more of like a fishing line getting stuck on it and it kind of just Coming. ripped it out from the four bolts because right. you could see yeah. the holes um in that area but also there's skin issues around that area. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked huh. with one of the scientists from FIU. Mm-hmm. Brandon, don't yeah. hate me for this. Um, he was asking help to get um, sat tags on, sorry, pop-up sat tags off silky sharks here because he was doing research on silky tags and seeing how they were kind of mixing with the tuna fishery and seeing where they were going. So we were helping mm-hmm. him put sat tags off of the silkies and one of them didn't pop off. Oh. And this is, this is the amazing part of the shark diving industry is the next year, or maybe it was a couple months later. I'm so bad with time. Um, this is why we have data. 
I can go back and look at it. But we found that it didn't pop off. But one of the shark diving boats reported that there was one of these tags. They sent us a photo and we saw that it this tag became negatively buoyant and it was starting to be an issue for her fin. So they asked if they could just cut it off. And well, actually we asked if they could just cut it off and get it back to us because A, we can get the tag back with all that data information where usually when you have pop off sat tags it's very rare that you get them back and they can be quite expensive yeah um so they were able to get yeah. it back to us but also that shark was now free of that fin issue um and it also was dragging on her back where even the tag was actually wearing down from her denticles her skin so that was yeah. also interesting to see she'll be fine i mean sharks for the most part are very resilient mm-hmm. but to see that was very interesting so yeah that's super interesting that's so cool and i feel like we've talked about local knowledge a lot on the podcast but usually it's like using the fishermen they know where to go catch this fish for your research project. But I feel like this is similar version of that, but we're just relying on divers and their knowledge. So I think it's really awesome to use local divers for local knowledge to help save sharks. Yeah. And I mean, where else in the world can you go dive three miles offshore and have five plus species in one dive? I mean, this is such a unique spot, especially for sharks of Everything comes through here. I mean, we have that Gulf Stream is such a highway for not just sharks, but everything. And it's Mm -hmm. that's another thing of it's not maybe just the sharks, but what are you seeing with the sharks and how are they interacting with each other? And um, I think that's another really cool thing, especially social media wise for for people to see that. Oh, if there's sharks around, and that means there's no fish. No, we see, if we don't see the fish, there's no sharks. Yeah. So it's always just, there's a whole ecosystem there of just, it's really cool. So many different things that we just love to see. And that's what we have people out there all the time. Just, hey, did you see this? Just going back to that, we like, hey, did you know this? Do you know that? Just keeping that dialogue open, which is so important, I think. Yeah. And um, there was two things... I was going to say, but I'll go, okay, I'll go back to this one. One of the big things about, yes, that's the reason why we collect that type of data and anything anyone's willing to help us with. Um, But the other thing is, yeah, seeing these things happening, me as an engineer, I like to make things, how can we make it better? Not just for like how do we make it smaller how do we make it faster how do we make it whatever but having such a big background in wildlife and engineering that's where i'm like how can we make this better for everyone these tags are so expensive Mm -hmm. um these tags are i mean scientists can't from what i've been hearing a lot is i can't get these tags because they're x amount of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. and for it to pop off and then never see it again that's like wait <laughs> yeah so working the en- engineering side and then also that i hear everyone's like oh x amount of tags didn't report back i'm like okay like you're not having these tags working they're this expensive they're doing this to the sharks especially with these poor silky sharks with their fins being ripped off i'm like whoa I know this is, and that's why it's important to have that dialogue to be like, hey, we're seeing this. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a better way of doing it. Um, and I don't know if that's like a feminine thing or just an engineering side of thing, but I do feel like with the feminine energy or just like that softness of it, it's just like, 
hey, we can do it and we could do it better. Why mm-hmm. not do it better if we can? Yeah. Especially for the shark's well-being. I love it. Um, so that kind of got me into Hannah of just being like, why don't we start making shark tags better? So that's where I would, having the engineering background and like I design um, ultrasound machines, I'm like, we can do this. Yeah. So for the past year, it's been a slow progress of collecting research, talking to different researchers, like, okay, what's going wrong with your tags? How would you like to see them better? Is mm-hmm. it battery life? Is it this X, Y, and Z? Are you using acoustic? Are you using sats? Like what, what are people wanting? And just having a whole area, having a whole big list of where scientists would like to see them improve, but also seeing things like the silkies and how we can still get the data, but get it better and not rip them apart. Yeah. So that's like a big thing that we're moving forward in, especially since it's kind of a smaller niche um, area of business. Yeah. Um, it's but super this exciting is Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's and like, so cool. depending on how low you can get costs, like if it could be something that's more accessible to people, or like if you could engineer a way to attach them that is less invasive or more like simpler for people, not more simpler, <laughs> that is simpler for people. It's more that simpler. That much more simple. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, I mean, I feel like a lot of really cool things could be done, like making that more accessible to people who are already interfacing with sharks anyway, making that data more accessible, making it more likely that people get their data back, like, and involving more people in that process, not just, you know, research labs that have thousands and thousands of dollars to spend on these tags that they may never see again, but making it more accessible for people lower down on that pay scale as well. So that's... Uh, it could be super cool. I'm so excited to like hear more about how that goes. I know. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we'll have more information over the well, hopefully have a prototype in the next year or so. But that's that's where it kind of kicked off for him is like, ugh, X amount of tags didn't report back. And I'm like, wait. <laughs> and she's like, they're so expensive. <laughs> and that's kind of my field. We make ultrasound machines that are smaller, faster and way cheaper. So um, looking at these tags, I'm like, there's no way just the hardware should cost $5,000. And so that's what I was like, let's do this. Oh <laughs> it's a fun challenge yeah. for me of just all of those wants and needs to be like, it's possible. It might not have been, might not have been done yet, but I think it's possible. So dipping, dipping your toes into that. And, and especially this area, there's, so many different species and we don't know much about them so if we could get cheaper tags and be able to put more out there especially with even if it's just acoustic tags we have receivers up and down everywhere and Mm -hmm. if everyone's talking to each other we can get more of an understanding of who's going where why when what and potentially using that to hopefully help with policy or even i mean the dream is marine protected areas yeah like yeah what out here is a marine protected area this is so awesome i love when people combine their different passions um i don't know just you combining engineering and your shark conservation background i just think it's a perfect blend and it's really inspirational and i'm excited to see what comes out of it yeah Yeah, ditto it's it's pretty inspiring
it was hard for me in this industry because I didn't know where I really fit. Yeah. Because I was kind of yeah. all over the place of, yeah, I want to do this. There's legislative work. There's the research. There's, but I mean, I don't have mm-hmm. the background in that type of research, but I'm, I'm also helping with it. So I have the understanding of, of these things going on, but they're like, well, are you a biologist? I'm like, not exactly. Are you a researcher? I'm like, well, I do the research. <laughs> like, do you do this? I'm like, I'm yeah. an engineer, but yeah. I like to jump around in so many different things. And then something popped up and kind of clicked. I'm just like, this is where things could be done better. There's so many outdated mm-hmm. things that need to be updated. And I mean, especially in the tech industry, things are just exponentially getting better. And so, yeah. Every day. So it's it's incredible to see how things are just moving forward. And so I think that's where we need to keep making things better as, as they're going. So that's awesome. That's where yeah. I think it was that first fin rip. I'm like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not anyone's fault. It's just we learn as we go and there's a better way of doing it. So Yeah. I, I think it's tough because it seems like society wants us all to be specialists, or at least that seems to be the way that life is pushing everyone these days. But we've mentioned it before on the podcast that it's really great to be a generalist, have multiple skill sets, and <laughs> yeah, be able to do a bunch of different things, interdisciplinary. So yeah, yeah rebel against the specialist system, I guess. Yeah, I think it's people like to have titles. And I I, I totally understand the whole Mm -hmm. title situation because it helps someone understand faster of, okay, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And for Hannah and myself, they're like, what do you do? And we're like, which hat do you want? (laughs) So it's even having titles for us for American Shark Conservancy. It's, It's hard because we're like, well... What day is it? What are we doing today? Because it's yeah. anything from yeah. like leading a, a shark dive and being that safety diver to, I don't know. Building shark tags. Yeah. Being in the office doing what looks like boring work or locked on the grid in Tron. I don't know. It's it's all very <laughs> different. So that's, um, I saw one of your questions like, what advice would I give to my younger self versus... I mean, even to anyone else, like what makes you so unique is your background and specialties. And I don't think I would be where I am if I didn't have all those roads going here, there, left, right, up, down um, to kind of be where I'm at in this space (laughs) of the the shark world. It's, it's hard to, to see some, it's, it's hard. It's easy for me to be hard on myself to just be like, oh, you could probably have done this already if you had these letters. And it's like, well, maybe you're supposed to be on a different path and you'll get there once you kind of see it. Um, but everyone's got their own little path. So this is kind of a fun, unique path of doing something very different of combining all the things. Yeah. Silly questions. Oh yeah, we can do that. I guess we kind of already talked on like challenges in the field. So yeah. And egos. There can be a lot of egos. Um, yeah. But I think we're seeing an overturn of that, of certain faces kind of shifting. And we're seeing more of a feminine presence in the shark world. And I think it's great. Because I think for so long, it's been a certain look. And I've heard horror stories of no one being listened to, even in my field of engineering. I mean, this past year... I've had people be like, can I talk to your engineer? I'm like, 
yep, <laughs> right here. That's me. Yeah. And and find out it's it's very interesting. Just because you're a male doesn't mean you are experienced in your field. Like the amount of I'm I'm really good at being hard on myself and not yeah. knowing that I'm worthy of being where I'm at. And I think that from all the female scientists that I've talked to kind of the same way, especially when they've had a foot on top of them of being like, "Mm, no, not yet. Or you're not whatever X, Y, or Z, Mm -hmm. but there's just a whole new shift of this female force. And I love it because I think there's a bigger want of being able to work together and not as much ego and all wanting the same thing. And it's, yeah, it's just pretty awesome to see. Yeah, we've we've talked a lot about some of the challenges of being a woman in this industry or in in science in general and I I feel like it's something that you experience almost no matter where you go, which is unfortunate, but um yeah, it is it's really nice to have other kick-ass women in the industry that help to support you and you know, on those days that you're that you're questioning, mm-hmm. like, do I even deserve this? Have I earned it? To have someone in your yeah. ear being like, yes, like, yes, you do. Yes, you have earned it. Like, it's it's so nice just to yeah. have that like camaraderie amongst us. So I I totally agree, and I think I think that might be one of the the greatest things that grad school ever gave to me is some like kick ass female scientist cohorts and like friends that that are always there in your ear telling you like yeah no you're a kick-ass scientist too like we're all we're all working our butts off and we've earned this just as much as anyone else so um yeah if (laughs) for more on that go listen to previous episodes (laughs) go listen to previous episodes of the people who inspired this podcast right like these kick-ass female scientists well also just like everyone that we've had on the podcast just we're all experiencing the same things and it's awesome to well it's not awesome that we're all experiencing some of these things but it's nice to have other people that have had the same experiences able to talk with you through those same highs and lows and i don't know i feel like we've built like a little community of badass kick-ass women who uh can be there to support each other so that's a really awesome outcome of to die for yeah I think it's a great silver lining of we've all kind of been through it. So we all kind of just automatically enter into that community of like, you too? Yep. 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 And hopefully through this, other people that are listening, like those younger generations coming up, hopefully they won't have to deal with these same things. Or at least they can hear. Or we can provide them a Yeah, they can hear that the rest of us are experiencing it too and they're not alone and, and... Yeah, their, their yep. feelings about it are real. <laughs> yeah, I think that's huge, especially to be able to go someone and be like, hey, I'm having this, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And I, th- yeah. I think that's one of the coolest things about social media is finding that community that you never would have found before yeah. and and being like, yep, you're not alone and and maybe it's time to change it. So yeah, it's a really cool community. Definitely. All right, let's get to some silly questions. My favorite silly question if uh, if my Wi-Fi will hold. <laughs> what is your favorite dive, snorkel, boating, water-related story? You know, I saw this question, and I... It's like asking what your favorite movie is. Yeah. There's so many 
different dives that are kind of core memories now from being with the people that you're with or beautiful sunset slash shark um whatever sharks are in the water to the species that you see and i guess for me um the cool dives that i've been on are seeing creatures that i wouldn't have normally normally seen but being out in the water so much you Mm -hmm. are kind of going to see them one way or another so i think one of the coolest creatures that i've seen and pretty close are blue marlin and yeah and it's not just like oh it's a blue marlin but they're huge they're so Mm -hmm. big and impressive and it's not one that you normally be like, oh, let me go swim with it or yeah. looking for it or whatever. But I mean, the first time I saw one, I was drifting away from the boat taking photos and I saw everyone at the boat. It was a later dive. There wasn't really anyone on the water boat wise, whatever. So I kind of drifted a little bit away from the boat and I see the sharks around the people around the boat. And then I kind of look to my left and I see something like pacing back and forth is that and all of a sudden i see it turn i see that giant bill i'm like oh my gosh i try and take a photo i'm out of memory (laughs) i'm just like of course and so i'm like i have to go show i have to go back to the boat not scare this thing off but someone else has to see this yeah so i went back to the boat and i look at the size of the sharks which are i mean i think we had silkies duskies whatever so maybe seven-ish feet-ish or whatever and I look back at this marlin and it's just towering over the size of these things and I'm I'm talking to the handler at the time who's leading the dive and I'm like big I I couldn't say like sword I didn't know what to say for sword I'm not swordfish but a billfish Yeah. yeah and he's like yeah I know they're big and I'm like no Marlin and I think one of the other guys who was taking photos I he and I were kind of more in tune underwater uh-huh. so he's he's like oh she sees something and then he kind of goes under yeah and he was able to get a photo but it was only myself and him that saw it but they're just magnificent creatures wow. and I had two two other times with the Marlin of kind of those it's almost like a come to a higher realm or whatever you want to call it but come to jesus moment where you're just like (laughs) yeah okay like it's you and me you're eyeballing me i'm eyeballing you like where are you going i want to know tell me your dick like what are you doing yeah tell me (laughs) who are you (laughs) yeah what's your story this question gets me every time what is your least favorite marine (laughs) organism and why (laughs) um so i have a thing any animal, throw any animal at me. I don't care how big its teeth are. If it wants to try and constrict me, I don't care. Like, I will work with whatever wants to rip my face off. But when it, when it comes to parasites, ugh, nope. Oh. And so there's there's certain, um, we have silkies out here that have little copepods on them that attach them to, the, yep. to the, their skin and we'll collect them. <laughs> so... So I'll take my glove off and kind of scrape it off the silkies. And as I'm swimming back to the boat, Hannah's still in the boat. I'm just like, take this thing from me. Like, I'll do it, but take this thing from me right now. And one of the other things is um, we've seen sandbars. This was like one of the main things that I was like, 
Hannah, I'm seeing or noticing sandbars around late summer. They have this weird gelatinous something off their anal fin. Hmm. It's only late summer. It's only sandbars. What is it? And um, with pictures and other pictures that people have taken from different dives, we were able to find that it was some kind of leech. And ugh, I just <laughs> not a fan of leeches. Um, when it comes to marine organisms, that's like lamprey. For some reason, I know they're not really parasites, but isopods. Isopods freak me out, but I have this want to still try and like hold one and get over that fear of being like, it's not what you think it is. It's just like the creepy crawly, whatever weird yeah. alien looking creature that it's there's nothing wrong with them. They're not going to bite, eat you, whatever. It's just, I don't know what it is, but I yeah. would say those giant isopods are so creepy looking. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's a good answer. Yeah. Okay. After you get out of the water with a whole bunch of sharks, what is it that you always crave? What do you want to eat after a dive? That's a great question. I guess I kind of, wherever we're coming back in boat-wise, I'm like, what's around and what sounds good? Mm -hmm. But usually it's sweet potato fries. Mm. I guess it's those carbs of just getting carbs back in the body. Oh, yeah. That's a new one, but I totally agree. That would be a really great post-dive snack. Mm -hmm. yeah. So after all this time, <laughs> after all of your crazy dives with all of these amazing sharks, what keeps you coming back to the water? That is a great question. Again, there's so many different angles of taking this. Um, the ocean has always been my home. Um, even moving away from it, something didn't always really feel right. Um, and moving back here was definitely something that felt like home. Being in the water, it's more of a, like selfishly, it's it's a, it helps me kind of slow down. And I would say it's almost like my church of resetting and, um, realigning of, of seeing what's important and staying in the present moment but i mean again it's the ocean what do you, what are you going to see that day what's the next adventure how can we almost go through some crazy things and make it back to the dock and laugh about it later those those moments with friends where it's just like we may have almost just died <laughs> to to just i mean experiencing more of these these sea creatures there's so much we don't know about them that for me in my want of learning more animal behavior especially these creatures that people don't really know much about is okay what can i learn more of and what can i show to people that will want them to get more excited on these creatures and even just for myself of learning how smart these creatures are and and how we can make things better i think that's where i kind of ended up of seeing all the how everything kind of works together and how can we make these oceans better and how can we really lessen the impact of the humans to our oceans and especially of these creatures that are getting impacted by us how can we do better that's awesome well thank you so much for coming on and talking through some difficult topics with us and just sharing your input it was really amazing to have you yeah, on thank, thank you, so you guys much. so much yeah absolutely thanks so much for listening to this week's episode 
Don't forget to head on over to our website where you can find information on submitting your great stories for our Fishtails episodes. Those will come out about once a month, and you can find the form to submit your stories online. Our website is under titleteasapparel.com. There's a little header at the top that says to dive for a podcast. And if you hit that link, we also have merch for sale. And you can also find us on Instagram at to dive for podcast and on Facebook as well. Don't forget to like and follow and share with your friends. See you guys next week. Bye. Okay, so this week I have a fun fact about blue marlin. So the Atlantic blue marlin can grow to be up to 14 feet long, and it can weigh up to 2,000 pounds. And actually, the females end up growing far larger than the males. So these are some of the biggest fish in the ocean. Thanks for listening.